You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I'll invite you to take your take the Word of God that you have. Hopefully you have one with you. If you need a Bible, we have extras. And let me know. But uh, take the Word of God from you. Turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1 where we're at. We're getting to verse 3 this week and further. Perhaps you've gotten to Read through it on your own. If not, encourage you. Uh, pretty short read. Read through the book. Hear the general theme. This title for for me to live or for to me to live is Christ. And uh, as you're turning there to Philippians one, I've got one picture from last week. Uh, where's Where's Weston at? Is Weston here? Marshall's just the only one left of the family. Okay. Marshall, tell your brother. He's got his picture up here, okay? Weston can probably hear me in the bathroom, so way to go, Weston. Thanks for your picture, and uh, I love it. This is great. Uh, he's got a picture in jail. He's got the jail. Now, he's got the jailer sleeping. Perhaps maybe he was doing that or not. I don't, maybe the jailer would have a different story, but uh, they were all snoozing. That was in Acts 16, I think, where, the, where God uh, opened the doors, but they stayed, and they didn't uh, flee, and so the jailer came to know Christ in Philippi, where we're at, and so Weston, appreciate that. Other kids, if you have drawings and or adults that have a flair for art and can do that, give me your pictures. It's fun to see what you're drawing as we go through, go through the text and, and what we read and think about here. So let's look at our scriptures. Philippians chapter 1, we're in verse 3. We'll just go through verse 8. We'll read through that this morning. Let's listen to the Word of God. It says Paul says here, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let me pray again. Father, again, we just ask your guiding hand upon this word. As I begin to speak just words of man reflecting on your words of truth. Father, uh, what is of little substance, what is of little value, what would steer your dear people, Lord, in the wrong way, may it fall on deaf ears. And Lord, what would bring them to exalt you and glorify on you, may their ears be attentive to what is said. Lord, who is sufficient? None of us are, and yet we come before your word because it's light and life for us, and it leads us to the light, Jesus, and the life, Jesus. So lead us back to you again, to glory in your work and what you're doing in the fellowship of the saints, and we pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Perhaps you've heard the phrase before, there are no lone ranger Christians. Have you ever heard of that phrase, there's no lone ranger Christians? which makes sense only if you've seen the show The Lone Ranger, right? If you haven't seen the show, maybe that's a phrase that's used and maybe, maybe that can make sense. A lone, what's a lone ranger? Somebody out on their own, 
There's no Lone Ranger out on their own. Though, uh, what's interesting about the show is that the Lone Ranger is not alone, is he? He's always got Tonto with him. So he's really not the Lone Ranger. He's a partner ranger with Tonto. Side note, kind of interesting. But this phrase, for our Christian life, has, has meaning. There's a reason why it's said. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. Because we're not, the task of the Christian life is not an individual I'm out on my own. I'm going to make it on my own. Maybe I'll see a couple of people along the way, but it's mostly my, my way. Now, maybe that's because we, of the country we lived. Our culture says, I did it my way. I'm going to do it. I can do this sort of thing. But that's not what the Bible pictures. And so today, as we're reading through Philippians and looking through this text, we're thinking of our relationships, really one to another, Think about how then the gospel of Jesus Christ influences and ought to change those relationships. And, and when we say relationships, we're talking about our fellowship together. And we have a fellowship hall here. I've mean something more than when we just eat food. A fellowship together. Not, not built primarily around like, like food or a meal, though that's where we can experience some fellowship. Or built around just common experiences or we all went hunting and had fellowship or we all went fishing or we all work at the same place or we're, we all have fellowship because we're the same age because we're not, we're varied or we're the same economic status, those sorts of things. That's, that's not what drives our fellowship together. There's something way more central and what we share, the fellowship we share as a church is based on a person, Christ, Jesus. That's the fellowship we share it. Those who share in Christ, we share that together. We fellowship. And so if we're to live out in such a way that demonstrates this declaration of Paul, for to me to live is Christ, then we need to grow in fellowship with one another, for this is his body, the body of Christ, the church. We're going to look at three aspects of gospel fellowship here in this text, and I give them to you just if you're one that just loves outlines, then you've got it, but if not... Tune out for about 10 seconds and come back to me. We're going to look about three places here of gospel fellowship. One is the joy of gospel fellowship. We're going to look at the joy of gospel fellowship as we look through verses 3 through 5. Then we're going to look at the source of it. So there's joy. Paul's got joy. Then what's the source of gospel fellowship, number two? And then number three, what's the way? What is the way, the how, the, maybe the why, but more the how of gospel fellowship? So first, the joy of it brings us to verses 3 through 5. I'll read them again just so we are hearing the word in us. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Okay, you see the word joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So here Paul, he gives this grand kind of this joyful picture of what it looks like to partner with others for the sake of the gospel. Kind of a sort of Paul pulled out the old family album of pictures. He said, look at this, this unity, these brothers, sisters in Christ, we're family. He's joyful and he's remembering them and he's thankful. These are his fellow partners in the gospel. But I want to think of two things here that form the structure really of of what we're talking about, the fellowship of the gospel, kind of the, the bones. What makes the structure of this, this joy and thankfulness of Paul? One is to kind of parse the word out, gospel fellowship. One is what is the gospel? Let's make sure we're clear on what the gospel is. And then let's think about what's fellowship. 
What's the gospel and then what is fellowship? Because we want to have gospel fellowship. So I want us to understand the gospel, be on the same page. What is the gospel? One helpful way, well, really simply, it's good news, isn't it? We know about that. One way I like to, helps me remember is just the word itself, gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. And I go through that, and you maybe heard this before. I preached on it. You're going to hear it again. Uh, if you go, I know each point. I know what he's going to say. That's awesome. You can use that. Use it to share Christ with others. But it's just a helpful way to get us on the page. What is the gospel? What is this that brings us together? So we start with that G, that God is holy. That's where the gospel really begins with. The gospel begins with, it's centered, it's aimed at God. We read that book in Sunday school. God is the gospel. That's the aim. We think the aim is our salvation. It is, but our salvation brings us to God. He's the aim, the central one. And he's holy and righteous. And as our creator, he's to be honored. He's to be glorified above everything else in our life. And there's joy in his presence. There's great delight there. But those in rebellion against him, they cannot be in his presence. So God is holy. Those in rebellion cannot be, which leads us to the O of the gospel, which is our original sin. That's all of us who has ever been born. We bear this guilt of the sin of Adam who disobeyed God in the garden, and it has infected all of us ever since. Not only that, not only do we get that sin, but we sin ourselves, and we act out in sinful ways. Paul says this in Romans, all have sinned. And in that sin, we face the wrath of God because he's a just God. He must justly punish sin. But Paul also says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the S, the God is holy. We have original sin. The S is for a Savior. So just at the right time, We've just celebrated Christmas, the incarnation, God's perfect time by his glorious grace. He sends Jesus born like us, born as a man and yet without sin, being God, a very God in the flesh. The good news is this event for sinners of Jesus coming. He lived. So he not only went to the cross, but he lived. Jesus lived a life of obedience When he faced temptation, not like us, he did not fail. And he obeyed all the way to the cross, where Paul says then that he died for our sins. And so we, us, having inherited the sin of Adam, sinning ourselves, were justly condemned to die. We're condemned by God because we disobeyed him. But this same Jesus who came for his own, instead of having us endure the penalty of that sin took on God's wrath in our place on the cross as a substitute to endure the penalty of death. Took that wrath as a a penal substitute. That's where we get the P. God's holy. There's original sin. Sent a Savior. And the P is that penalty substitution that Jesus made on the cross. Our death he took on. The wrath we deserve for our sin was placed on Jesus on the cross. And having fully satisfied God's wrath, he was made alive, defeating death. And then the E, what's the response? We exercise God-given faith. Why is it God-given faith? Because we're born spiritually dead. 
We cannot reach out to God. We must be given life. We can't see God. We must be given eyes to see. We must be, as the Bible calls it, born again, regenerated, born of God, a work He does first in us that we begin to see, I'm in sin. I fear God. He's a holy God. We begin to see these things, and we repent, and we exercise faith, and that faith has an object, Christ. And so by putting our faith in Christ, we're cleansed from our sin, given the righteousness of Christ, declared righteous, justified. His righteousness, not ours. It's a foreign righteousness. It's an alien to us. Not because of we're good, but because he is, and he accomplished it all. And so lastly, just to fill in the letter L, is that we then live as a living sacrifice. We've been given this grace to believe we're a new creation, and so in Christ we're going to do new works, works that are good and pleasing to God because they're works that they don't earn us His love or a place in heaven. They're, they're, really, they're really His works, that He works in us to love our new Master as saints, and we looked at last week, saints and servants of Christ Jesus. We belong to Him. We're freed from slavery to sin to live not just for ourselves, but it comes all the way back then that God to live for God and His glory because we can now in Christ. That's the gospel. Now you might have different uh, maybe words here and there or scriptures to use and throughout the scriptures, but that's what, what binds us together is Christ, the gospel of somebody. It's the good news, not just good news that, hey, I want a new car or something like that. It's the good news of Jesus that then forms this fellowship. And so here in Philippians, Paul is thankful and joyful as he himself prays for this church because they too, they like Paul, they're in Christ. We looked at the last week. They're saints in Christ. The gospels come to them. We saw it coming in Acts 16 and it's grown among them. And so those that share Christ as Savior, they're bound together as members of one body. The body of Christ being in Christ. That's the gospel fellowship part, the one body part. Now, as we look back at the text, if you look at verse 5, you've got kind of this idea of partnership. I think you could say fellowship there because of your fellowship in the gospel, or it's got partnership. You're going to see it again in verse uh, 7 as well um, as the word partakers. Kind of, again, kind of that root word of fellowship there. And so we see this. And as we look back, there can be a sense in which the church was a, was a partner maybe in monetary ways. They supported Paul, maybe with their gifts and that sort of thing. And, and some say, maybe some commentaries lean towards more, you know, this is really kind of the, the idea of the partner. I, I don't think it's, I don't see that. I think that's part of it. There's a part of them physically partnering with Paul in his ministry. But I think he's begun this letter, he addresses them as saints in Christ Jesus. And, and what we saw from Acts, there's, there's a partnership, a gospel fellowship, as you see the words there, the, the timing words in verse 5, from the first day until now. It just talks about it. There's a temporal from the first day. I don't, I don't think he's saying the first day you sent a money gift. It's the first day of your conversion, I believe. And I think their gospel, their fellowship includes all that support, money-wise, but even greater, they have a partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ from that day until, until uh, now. 
But it goes further than that, and the timing keeps going. And so Paul then gets to the heart of what gives him this surety of their fellowship. He gets to the source of the fellowship. So he's got joy in them. They're one in Christ, and now the source of that fellowship. And it kind of fits again with last week seeing you know, grace to you and peace from God. What's the source? God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, look at verse 6 then. Paul says, and I am sure of this certain or persuaded you could say and i am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ i think we often this is a familiar this would be one of those familiar philippians verses to us Uh, we hear this verse and we use it sometimes we use it on its own and, and perhaps outside the context it's in. It's within a context. We're talking about Sunday school. Context is king. So it's within a context. And so we need to ask then, in the context, what is the, the good work that Paul says God has begun in them? What is this good work? He who began a good work, what's the good work that Paul refers to? And I think it will refer to, and I believe, to this phrase, your partnership in the gospel. He who began this partnership in the gospel will be faithful. It precedes it. Verse 5 has that that timing sense from the first day until now. Verse 6, also, he who began will bring it to completion. That idea, I think they they match together. (coughs) Excuse me. So Paul here, verse 6, he's got a good work which God began. He's going to complete on the day of Christ Jesus, which is his second coming. And we're going to talk more hopefully about that next week. It comes back comes back again in the, in the verses that we'll look at next week. But I want to be clear here that I believe the good work God began in the Philippians, I believe it must start with their conversion to Christ. We're going to see in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, a, a rather interesting, uh, oh, I don't know the right word for it, but Philippians 2, Paul says to to work out your own salvation. You're familiar with this? Work out your own salvation. But then he declares something of what's behind that salvation, behind that working. And he says, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there's a working of God. There's a work out your salvation because it's God who works in you. It's the same God who began a good work in you. Uh, Galatians 3.3, Paul says, Asks them, he says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What's Paul looking at? Where did they begin? What good work began? Began by the Spirit. And so I think Philippians 1.6 is one place amongst others really describing, in part, the first cause of your salvation. He who began a good work. Our salvation ultimately depends on God's work begun in us. It's a familiar verse. Hear it again, thinking of God's work, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. But there's some working going on. The very next verse tells us in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. We're created. He who began a good work, we're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. So we should walk in these works. We should work out our salvation, and God's prepared all this beforehand. Fit the two together. We'll, we'll get to that section when we get to Philippians 2. But the work, the good work begun by God, His calling, His regeneration, it doesn't just deal with us, though, on an individual basis. This is interesting. Paul says here, He who began a good work in you, Y-O-U, is not you like you individually. It's, it's Texan for y'all or southern, right? It's y'all. It's plural. So he who began a good work in you all, okay, will be faithful to complete it. There's a plurality because what are they? They're partners in the gospel. He began a good work in all of you in Christ. So you're partners in this together. God's work, just yes, in the individual's heart, through the gospel, yes, but there's also a corporate work for the body of Christ. Paul would write about in 1 Corinthians 12, those sorts of places, his church. All right, so then Paul goes on to speak again, verse 7, let's keep moving on through uh, the fellowship in the gospel. So verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see that? Paul holds, Paul holds these believers in his heart. They're partakers interesting. They're partakers of grace, grace both in his imprisonment, his defense, and confirmation of the gospel. Perhaps 1 Corinthians 12.26, you don't have to go there, you could write it down if you know this. It helps us understand how, how can a church in Philippi, if we're thinking Paul is in Rome, how can it be a partaker of grace with Paul in prison? How does this partake together. Here's what one verse, at least 1 Corinthians 12, 26, as Paul talks about the body of Christ, he says, if one member of the body of Christ, okay, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Yes, Paul, individually, he's in prison, whatever that looked like in Rome, maybe house arrest, something like that. He's individually defending and confirming the gospel, and yet at the same time, he's not alone. His fellow believers are with him in his heart, and their fellow partakers, get this, here, of grace. If I was writing this, I don't, if you were, I don't know that we'd put the word grace next to the word prison. That doesn't seem like our picture of what God's grace looks like. We, we kind of want to leave those types of hardships uh, quick, uh, prison, that sort of thing. But that's what Paul calls it. He calls it grace. I don't think Paul sees his imprisonment, his defense, which is from where we get the word apolo, we get the word apologetics. It's really apologia. If we get that, there's defense uh, with that word. Defense and confirmation of the gospel. That, that's not something abnormal to Paul. It's a moment, really, of God's grace on Paul. Like I said, we want to leave those types of hardships. For us, we want to leave, those, those seem like hardships to, leave, to defend yourself, 
to be in prison, to suffer for the gospel, that to us doesn't look like grace. We want to leave those trials as quick as we can. But really, and real quickly, what, what grows as we face trials, like imprisonment or testings of our faith? James says that. These testings of our faith produce steadfastness. And guess what God is doing? He's doing that good work that he began. He's completing it because James says, the testings of our faith produce steadfastness that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The sufferings are part of God's completing work in our life. He's doing through trials what we could not do and we probably would not do on our own. This one who began a good work, he's completing it. So the trial, I think, Paul can look at and say, it's grace. It grows us closer to him. He, he, and, and we'll see as well, the gospel's being preached to the guard, the guards that are here. There's grace all over the place and in his own heart. You want to grow close to God? Is that your desire to grow close to him? I would encourage you, as I would encourage my own heart, to embrace imprisonment and hardship as God's grace leading you back to him. To embrace it. Here it is, Lord. You've given me this. I don't see this as your, as your thumb on my life, as your gracious hand, that you've begun a good work and you're going to be faithful to complete it. And you brought about this trial and it's leading me again. What's the goal of the gospel? God is to be complete in him again. So God's the source. He's the originator. He's the initiator. And by his continuing grace, he's the sustainer and the perfecter of first our fellowship with himself through the cross, and then secondly, our fellowship with one another. And so verse 8 then sums up Paul's heart for the uh, Philippians here. Look at verse 8, lastly. For God is my witness. The same God that he's thanking, he's calling God. He knows, he's my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What's the way of gospel fellowship? It's yearning for one another like Christ. Affections here, I think, has with it, there's that idea in affections of something deeper than just, I like this person or I'll tolerate this. There's, a, there's something deeper than surface feelings, something in the heart. So Paul's affections his yearning, his desiring for those in Philippi, it's compared to and carries with it. Do you see how he, how he sets it up? You know, here's how I yearn. It's like the affections of Christ Jesus towards you. And one writer explains Christ's affections using the analogy of a shepherd to his sheep. So I want to quote from him, uh, this Nicholas Batzig here. There's a quote is, what do these affections of Christ look like? He says, well, they, the analogy of a shepherd to a sheep gives us a pretty good idea of what affections look like. He says, I naturally think of the image of the shepherd with the sheep when I read of Paul's joyful affection for other believers. Though the sheep are often difficult, the shepherd does everything to care for the sheep. Though they wander, he expends all of his time and energy seeking out the lost sheep. He carries the wandering lamb home on his shoulders. In the image of the shepherd and the sheep, we find an apt picture of the great affection that Christ has for his flock. Hmm. 
How does this combine then? The nature of Paul's yearning then for his fellow partners in his gospel, he's got affections like Christ to his church. That's what characterizes Paul's yearning for them. There's a sense. We were talking about prayer meeting, about God. Does he need us, right? So if you're there in prayer meeting, remember, we're talking about that. Or does he, does he want us? I think there's a sense here, yes, want his affections towards us. They have a goal. Yes, he desires us. The goal is his glory in that. But there's an affection. And so Paul's saying, I have the same, maybe say want, the same desire for you all. He loves these people. He loves the church at Philippi. And so whether you're an under-shepherd, a pastor, an elder, if you're a fellow church member, the body of Christ, we ought to share these same affections. And we're going to see Paul come back to this again in, in chapter 2, I think, uh, again, characterizing Christ and what he did. I want to close here today just with a challenge before you. All who would call this church, this is your home, your church home. Here's my challenge. Is that we too, we yourselves, yes, pastor, elder, and body, we would seek out and yearn for one another with the affections of Christ in true gospel fellowship. So this challenge for us to seek out one another with true gospel affections, there's two facets of this challenge. One is it's important that we know the gospel. That's why I went through it. And maybe that sparks something. You say, I'm not sure I know the gospel. I'm not sure I know Jesus. Maybe you want to talk to it. Do that. But we want to have lives transformed by the grace of God. So do you know? First, do you know Christ? We can't have fellowship without knowing Christ. We can be kind and, and talk and speak with one another and talk about things and events and the weather and how cold it is, the snow, all those sorts of things. But we're going to lack Christ if you don't know Christ. But having come to know Christ, then, for those of you, as Paul, do you yearn for one another with the affections of Christ? I don't mean here that we tolerate right, one another. We, we're gonna, we'll put up with, we'll endure. Paul says for the church at Philippi, I yearn with the affections of Christ Jesus. That's way beyond Right? I'll, I'll, I'll share a little meal or something. It's beyond that. Our gospel fellowship here in this church, it takes place, we fellowship around the Word. This brings us together. Or uh, we fellowship around prayer. We have a prayer meeting during the week or prayer different times. This morning was a time as you hopefully, you enjoyed that fellowship together, praying about abortion this morning. We pray for Milton. I appreciate you sharing up here, Milton. That's part of the body is saying, would you pray for us? And then part of the body is saying, we are partners. If one part of the body suffers, we kind of don't, we don't look and say, they're suffering. I'm running the other way. We're, this is, we're all suffering. And all of us have, I mean, we could all probably get up here and say, I'm struggling with this and this attitude and this sin and all this. And that's why we need to be something probably un-American into people's lives, a little bit nosy in a good way, in a God-honoring affections of Christ way, being nosy, to say, how are you doing? How's your spiritual walk with the Lord? We want to have those affections. So my prayer this morning is that we, like Paul, we would grow as a body in yearning for one another with the affections of Christ. 
being no mere social club or a gathering of friends even or a place where we like the music, it's warm, whatever. We in Christ were saints. We're made holy by the blood of Christ. We in Christ have a bond greater than any of your real physical brothers and sisters. There's a bond, and that's not anything but Christ. He's the bond. And say, so may our yearning for one another reflect these affections for one another because we were sinners and Christ came and died for us. That's the, the ultimate expression of his affection to bring us back to himself. May we be part of that in each other's lives. Let me pray for us. Before I pray, I want to just... Um, we've got a little time. Would you just take, take a minute... Um, if God's brought something to your mind, I, d- I just don't want to leave time without, if you need to confess something to the Lord, make something right, say, Lord, I'm convicted on this affection. I've been tolerating. I've been whatever. Just take a minute to confess that if you so desire or, to, or just to pray on your own and then I'll, I'll close this here in just a little bit. Father, if we're to have the affections of Christ for one another, that means that we must know you. And we must know you all the more. And that's what Paul talks about, to to know you above anything else he desires, to live as Christ. So, Lord, I pray that in each of our individual lives, we would be struck by your majesty, Jesus, and we we would love you. We would run to you. We would say, you're our Savior. You're our hope. And then, Lord, having a secure identity in Christ, then we can run towards each other and be involved in lives around us in this particular geographic location of your body of believers and care for one another. So guide us in that. Lord, convict us in that. Lord, where we have tolerated, where we've just put up with and we've not embraced with the affections of Christ, your church Lord, forgive us and lead us to embrace with the affections of Christ those you've called together in this place for your glory. Father, we need you. We thank you that you've begun a good work. You're going to complete the work. And so we want to rest and depend on you. This is not something on our own we are prone to do at all or to look at situations as your grace. So, Lord, thank you for gracious situations that lead us to depend on you, Lord, that would boil up our imperfections, that we would see you and the grace in Christ much more. We thank you for this. Pray for your work in our body. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.